Volume One of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kalinda. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Section 11. The door stood open as I entered, and found myself in a spacious and goodly hall, wide exceedingly, even as a horse-course, and around it were an hundred chambers with doors of sandal and aloes wood, plated with red gold, and furnished with silver rings by way of knockers. At the head or upper end of the hall I saw forty damsels sumptuously dressed, and ornamented, and one and all as bright as moons. None could ever tire of gazing upon them, and all so lovely, that the most ascetic devotee, on seeing them, would become their slave, and obey their will. When they saw me, the whole bevy came up to me, and said, Welcome, and well come, and good cheer to thee, O our Lord! This whole month have we been expecting thee. Praised be Allah, who hath sent us one who is worthy of us, even as we are worthy of him. Then they made me sit down upon a high divan, and said to me, This day thou art our Lord and Master, and we are thy servants and thy handmaids, so order us as thou wilt. And I marvelled at their case. Presently one of them arose, and set meat before me, and I ate, and they ate with me, whilst others warmed water, and washed my hands and feet, and changed my clothes, and others made ready sherbets, and gave us to drink and all gathered around me, being full of joy and gladness at my coming. Then they sat down and conversed with me till nightfall, when five of them arose and laid the trays and spread them with flowers and fragrant herbs and fruits, fresh and dried, and confections in profusion. At last they brought out a fine wine-service with rich old wine, and we sat down to drink, and some sang songs, and others played the lute and psaltery, and recorders and other instruments, and the bowl went merrily around. Hereupon such gladness possessed me that I forgot the sorrows of the world one and all, and said, This is indeed life, oh sad that tis fleeting! I enjoyed their company till the time came for rest, and our heads were all warm with wine when they said, O oh, our Lord, choose from amongst us her who shall be thy bedfellow this night, and not lie with thee again till forty days be past. So I chose a girl, fair of face and perfect in shape, with eyes coal-edged by nature's hand, hair long and jet-black with slightly parted teeth and joining brows. T'was as if she were some limber, graceful branchlet, or the slender stalk of sweet basil, to amaze and to bewilder men's fancy, even as the poet said of such a one. To even her with greeny bough were vain, fool he who finds her beauties in the row. When hath the roe those lively lovely limbs, or honey-dews those lips alone bestow? Those eyne, soul-piercing eyne, which slay with love, which bind the victim by their shafts laid low. My heart to second childhood they beguiled. No wonder, love-sick man, again is child. And I repeated to her the Maker's words, who said, None other charms but thine shall greet mine eyes, Nor other image can my heart surprise. Thy love, my lady, captives all my thoughts, And on that love I'll die, and I'll arise. So I lay with her that night. None fairer I ever knew, and when it was morning, the damsels carried me to the hammam bath, and bathed me and robed me in fairest apparel. Then they served up food, 
and we ate and drank, and the cup went round till nightfall, when I chose from among them one fair of form and face, soft-sided and a model of grace, such an one as the poet described when he said, On her fair bosom caskets twain I scanned, Sealed fast with musk seals lovers to withstand. With arrowy glances stand on guard her eyes, Whose shafts would shoot who dares put forth a hand. With her I spent a most goodly night, And to be brief, O oh my mistress, I remained with them in all solace and delight of life, Eating and drinking, conversing and carousing, And every night lying with one or other of them. But at the head of the new year they came to me in tears, And bade me farewell, weeping and crying out and clinging about me, Whereat I wondered and said, what may be the matter? Verily you break my heart. They exclaimed, Would heaven we had never known thee, for though we have companies with many, yet never saw we a pleasanter than thou, or a more courteous. And they wept again. But tell me more clearly, asked I, what causeth this weeping which maketh my gallbladder like to burst? And they answered, O oh, our lord and master, it is severance which maketh us weep, and thou and thou only art the cause of our tears. If thou hearken to us, we need never be parted, and if thou hearken not, we part for ever. But our hearts tell us that thou wilt not listen to our words, and this is the cause of our tears and cries. Tell me how the case standeth. Know, O our Lord, that we are the daughters of kings, who have met here and have lived together for years, and once in every year we are perforce absent for forty days, and afterwards we return and abide here for the rest of the twelve months, eating and drinking and taking our pleasure and enjoying delights. We are about to depart according to our custom, and we fear lest after we be gone thou contrary our charge and disobey our injunctions. Here now we commit to thee the keys of the palace which containeth forty chambers, and thou mayest open of these thirty and nine, but beware, and we conjure thee by Allah and by the lives of us, lest thou open the fortieth door, for therein is that which shall separate us for ever." Quoth I, Assuredly I will not open it, if it contain the cause of severance from you. Then one among them came up to me, and falling on my neck, wept and recited these verses. If time unite us, after absent while, the world harsh frowning on our lot shall smile, and if thy semblance deign adorn mine eyes, I'll pardon time past wrongs and bygone guile. And I recited the following. When drew she near to bid adieu with heart unstrung, while care and longing on that day her bosom wrung. Wet pearls she wept, and mine like red carnelians rolled, and joined in sad riviere, around her neck they hung. When I saw her weeping, I said, By Allah, I will never open that fortieth door, never and no wise. And I bade her farewell. Thereupon all departed, flying away like birds, signalling with their hands farewells as they went, and leaving me alone in the palace. When evening drew near, I opened the door of the first chamber, and entering it found myself in a place like one of the pleasances of paradise. It was a garden with trees of freshest green and ripe fruits of yellow sheen, and its birds were singing clear and keen, and rills ran wimpling through the fair terrain. The sight and sounds brought solace to my sprite, and I walked among the trees, and I smelt the breath of the flowers on the breeze, and heard the birdies sing their melodies, hymning the one, the Almighty, in sweetest litanies. And I looked upon the apple, whose hue is parcel red and parcel yellow, as said the poet, Apple whose hue combines in union mellow, my fair's red cheek, her hapless lover's yellow. 
then I looked upon the quince, and inhaled its fragrance, which to shame musk and ambergris, even as the poet hath said. Quince every taste conjoins, in her are found, gifts which for queen of fruits the quince have crowned. Her taste is wine, her scent the waft of musk, pure gold her hue, her shape the moon's fair round. Then I looked upon the pear, whose taste surpasseth sherbet and sugar, and the apricot, whose beauty striketh the eye with admiration, as if she were a polished ruby. Then I went out of the place, and locked the door as it was before. When it was the morrow, I opened the second door, and entering found myself in a spacious plain set with tall date-palms, and watered by a running stream, whose banks were shrubbed with bushes of rose and jasmine, while privet and eglantine, ox-eye, violet and lily, narcissus, oregon, and the winter gilly-flower, carpeted the borders, and the breath of the breeze swept over these sweet-smelling growths, diffusing their delicious odours right and left, perfuming the world, and filling my soul with delight. After taking my pleasure there a while, I went from it, and having closed the door as it was before, opened the third door, wherein I saw a high open hall, pargetted with party-coloured marbles and pietra dura of price and other precious stones, and hung with cages of sandalwood and eaglewood, full of birds which made sweet music such as the thousand-voiced, and the cushat, the merle, the turtle-dove, and the nubian ring-dove. My heart was filled with pleasure thereby, my grief was dispelled, and I slept in that aviary till dawn. Then I unlocked the door of the fourth chamber, and therein found a grand saloon, with forty smaller chambers giving upon it. All their doors stood open, so I entered and found them full of pearls and jacinths, and barrels and emeralds and corals and carbuncles, and all manner precious gems and jewels, such as tongue of man may not describe. My thought was stunned at the sight, and I said to myself, These be things, methinks, united, which could not be found save in the treasuries of a king of kings, nor could the monarchs of the world have collected the like of these. And my heart dilated, and my sorrows ceased. For, quoth I, now verily am I the monarch of the age, since by Allah's grace this enormous wealth is mine, and I have forty damsels under my hand, nor is there any to claim them save myself. Then I gave not over opening place after place until nine and thirty days were passed, and in that time I had entered every chamber except that one whose door the princesses had charged me not to open. But my thoughts, O oh my mistress, ever ran on that forbidden fortieth, and Satan urged me to open it from my own undoing, nor had I patience to forbear, albeit there wanted of the trysting time but a single day. So I stood before the chamber aforesaid, and after a moment's hesitation, opened the door which was plated with red gold, and entered. I was met by a perfume whose like I had never before smelt, and so sharp and subtle was the odour, that it made my senses drunken as with a strong wine, and I fell to the ground in a fainting fit which lasted a full hour. When I came to myself I strengthened my heart, and, entering, found myself in a chamber whose floor was bespread with saffron and blazing with light from branched candelabra of gold and lamps fed with costly oils, which diffused the scent of musk and ambergris. I saw also two great censers, each big as a mazer bowl, flaming with lime aloes, nad perfume, ambergris, and honeyed scents, and the place was full of their fragrance. Presently, O oh my lady, I espied a noble steed, black as the murks of night when murkiest, standing ready, saddled, and unbridled, and his saddle was of red gold, before two mangers, 
one of clear crystal wherein was husked sesame, and the other also of crystal containing water of the rose scented with musk. When I saw this I marvelled and said to myself, Doubtless in this animal must be some wondrous mystery. And Satan cousined me, so I led him without the palace and mounted him, but he would not stir from his place. So I hammered his sides with my heels, but he moved not, and then I took the rein-whip, and struck him withal. When he felt the blow, he neighed a neigh with a sound like deafening thunder, and, opening a pair of wings, flew up with me in the firmament of heaven far beyond the eyesight of man. After a full hour of flight he descended and alighted on a terrace roof, and, shaking me off his back, lashed me on the face with his tail, and gouged out my left eye, causing it to roll along my cheek. Then he flew away. I went down from the terrace, and found myself again amongst the ten one-eyed youths, sitting upon their ten couches with blue covers, and they cried out when they saw me, No welcome to thee, nor aught of good cheer. We all lived of lives the happiest, and we ate and drank of the best. Upon brocades and cloths of gold we took rest, and we slept with our heads on beauty's breast, but we could not await one day to gain the delights of a year. Quoth I, Behold, I have become one like unto you, and now I would have you bring me a tray full of blackness, wherewith to blacken my face, and receive me into your society. No, by Allah, quoth they, thou shalt not sojourn with us, and now get thee hence. So they drove me away. Finding them reject me thus, I foresaw that matters would go hard with me, and I remembered the many miseries which destiny had written upon my forehead, and I fared forth from among them, heavy-hearted and tearful-eyed repeating to myself these words. I was sitting at mine ease, but my forwardness brought me to unease. Then I shaved beard and mustachios and eyebrows, renouncing the world, and wandered in calendar garb about Allah's earth, and the Almighty decreed safety for me till I arrived at Baghdad, which was on the evening of this very night. Here I met these two other calendars, standing bewildered, so I saluted them, saying, I am a stranger, and they answered, And we likewise be strangers. By the freak of fortune we were like to thee, three calendars and three monoculars, all blind of the left eye. Such, O oh my lady, is the cause of the shearing of my beard and the manner of my losing an eye. Said the lady to him, Rub thy head and wend thy ways. But he answered, By Allah, I will not go until I hear the stories of these others. Then the lady, turning towards the caliph, and Ja'afar and Masrur, said to them, Do ye also give an account of yourselves, you men? Whereupon Ja'afar stood forth, and told her what he had told the portress, as they were entering the house, and when she heard the story of their being merchants and Mosul men, who had outrun the watch, she said, I grant you your lives, each for each sake, and now away with you all. So they all went out, and when they were in the street, quoth the caliph to the calendars, O company, whither go ye now, seeing that the morning hath not yet dawned? Quoth they, By Allah, our Lord, we know not where to go. Come and pass the rest of the night with us, said the caliph, and turning to Ja'afar, take them home with thee, and to-morrow bring them to my presence, that we may chronicle their adventures. Ja'afar did as the caliph bade him, and the commander of the faithful returned to his palace, but sleep gave no sign of visiting him that night and he lay awake, pondering the mishaps of the three calendar princes, and impatient to know the history of the ladies and the two black bitches. No sooner had morning dawned than he went forth and sat upon the throne of his sovereignty, and turning to Ja'afar, 
After all his grandees and officers of state were gathered together, he said, Bring me the three ladies and the two bitches and the three calendars. So Ja'afar fared forth and brought them all before him, and the ladies were veiled. Then the minister turned to them and said in the caliph's name, We pardon you your maltreatment of us and your want of courtesy, in consideration of the kindness which forewent it, and for that ye knew us not. Now, however, I would have you to know that ye stand in the presence of the fifth of the sons of Abbas, Harun al-Rashid, brother of Caliph Musa al-Hadi, son of al-Mansur, son of Mohammed, the brother of al-Safa bin Mohammed, who was the first of the royal house. Speak ye therefore before him the truth and the whole truth. When the ladies heard Ja'afar's words touching the commander of the faithful, the eldest came forward and said, O Prince of True Believers, my story is one which, were it graven with needle-gravers upon the eye-corners, were a warner for whoso would be warned, and an example for whoso can take profit from example. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the seventeenth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that she stood forth before the commander of the faithful, and began to tell the eldest lady's tale. Verily, a strange tale is mine, and tis this. Yon two black bitches are my eldest sisters by one mother and father, and these two others, she who beareth upon her the signs of stripes, and the third, our procuratrix, are my sisters by another mother. When my father died, each took her share of the heritage, and after a while my mother also deceased, leaving me and my sisters German three thousand dinars. So each daughter received her portion of a thousand dinars, and I the same." I'll be the youngest. In due course of time my sisters married with the usual festivities, and lived with their husbands, who bought merchandise with their wives' monies, and set out on their travels together. Thus they threw me off. My brothers-in-law were absent with their wives five years, during which period they spent all the money they had, and, becoming bankrupt, deserted my sisters in foreign parts amid stranger folk. After five years my eldest sister returned to me in beggar's gear, with her clothes in rags and tatters, and a dirty old mantilla, and truly she was in the foulest and sorriest plight. At first sight I did not know my own sister, but presently I recognized her, and said, "'What state is this?' "'Oh, our sister,' she replied, "'words cannot undo the done, and the reed of destiny hath run through what Allah decreed.' Then I sent her to the bath, and dressed her in a suit of mine own, and boiled for her a bouillon, and brought her some good wine, and said to her, O oh, my sister, thou art the eldest, who still standest to us in the stead of father and mother, and as for the inheritance which came to me as to you twain, Allah hath blessed it, and prospered it to me with increase, and my circumstances are easy, for I have made much money by spinning and cleaning silk, and I and you will share my wealth alike. I entreated her with all kindliness, and she abode with me for a whole year, during which our thoughts and fancies were always full of our other sister. Shortly after, she too came home, in yet fouler and sorrier plight than that of my eldest sister, and I dealt by her still more honorably than I had done by the first, and each of them had a share of my substance. After a time they said to me, O oh, our sister, we desire to marry again, for indeed we have not patience to drag on our days without husbands, and to lead the lives of widows bewitched. And I replied, O oh, eyes of me! Ye have hitherto seen scanty weal in wedlock, for nowadays good men and true are become rarities and curiosities. Nor do I deem your projects advisable, as ye have already made trial of matrimony, and have failed. 
but they would not accept my advice, and married without my consent. Nevertheless I gave them outfit and dowries out of my money, and they fared forth with their mates. In a mighty little time their husbands played them false, and taking whatever they could lay hands upon, levanted and left them in the lurch. Thereupon they came to me ashamed, and in abject case, and made their excuses to me, saying, Pardon our fault, and be not wroth with us, for although thou art younger in years, yet art thou older in wit. Henceforth we will never make mention of marriage, so take us back as thy handmaidens, that we may eat our mouthful. Quoth I, Welcome to you, O my sisters, there is naught dearer to me than you. And I took them in, and redoubled my kindness to them. We ceased not to live after this loving fashion for a full year, when I resolved to sell my wares abroad, and first to fit me a conveyance for Bassora. So I equipped a large ship, and loaded her with merchandise and valuable goods for traffic, and with provant and all needful for a voyage, I said to my sisters, Will ye abide at home whilst I travel, or would ye prefer to accompany me on the voyage? We will travel with thee, answered they, for we cannot bear to be parted from thee. So I divided my monies into two parts, one to accompany me, and the other to be left in charge of a trusty person, for as I said to myself, haply some accident may happen to the ship, and yet we remain alive, in which case we shall find on our return what may stand us in good stead. I took my two sisters, and we went a-voyaging some days and nights, but the master was careless enough to miss his course, and the ship went astray with us, and entered a sea other than the sea we sought. For a time we knew naught of this, and the wind blew fair for us ten days, after which the lookout man went aloft to see about him, and cried, Good news! Then he came down rejoicing, and said, I have seen what seemeth to be a city, as t'were a pigeon. Hereat we rejoiced, and ere an hour of the day had passed, the building showed plain in the offing, and we asked the captain, What is the name of yonder city? And he answered, By Allah I know it not, for I never saw it before, and never sailed these seas in my life. But since our troubles have ended in safety, remains for you only to land there with your merchandise, and if you find selling profitable, sell and make your market of what it is there. And if not, we will rest here two days, and provision ourselves, and fare away. So we entered the port, and the captain went up town, and was absent a while. After which he returned to us, and said, Arise, go up into the city, and marvel at the works of Allah with his creatures, and pray to be preserved from his righteous wrath. So we landed, and going up into the city, saw at the gate men holding staves in hand. But when we drew near them, behold, they had been translated by the anger of Allah, and had become stones. Then we entered the city, and found all therein turned into black stones and stoned. Not an inhabited house appeared to the aspire, nor was there a blower of fire. We were awestruck at the sight, and threaded the market streets, where we found the goods and gold and silver left lying in their places, and we were glad, and said, Doubtless there is some mystery in all this. Then we dispersed about the thoroughfares, and each busied himself with collecting the wealth and money and rich stuffs, taking scanty heed of friend or comrade. As for myself, I went up to the castle which was strongly fortified, and entering the king's palace by its gate of red gold, found all the vaisselle of gold and silver, and the king himself seated in the midst of his chamberlains and nabobs and emirs and wazirs, all clad in raiment which confounded man's art. I drew nearer, and saw him sitting on a throne encrusted and inlaid with pearls and gems, and his robes were of gold cloth adorned with jewels of every kind, each one flashing like a star. Around him stood fifty mamelukes, white slaves, clothed in silks of diverse sorts, holding their drawn swords in their hands, but when I drew near to them, lo, all were black stones. 
My understanding was confounded at the sight, but I walked on and entered the great hall of the harem, whose walls I found hung with tapestries of gold, striped silk, and spread with silken carpets embroidered with golden cowers. Here I saw the queen lying at full length, arrayed in robes with fresh young pearls. On her head was a diadem set with many sorts of gems, each fit for a ring, and around her neck hung collars and necklaces. All her raiment and her ornaments were in natural state, but she had been turned into a black stone by Allah's wrath. Presently I espied an open door for which I made straight, and found, leading to it, a flight of seven steps. So I walked up, and came upon a place pargetted with marble, and spread and hung with gold-worked carpets and tapestry, a middlemost of which stood a throne of juniper-wood inlaid with pearls and precious stones, and set with the bosses of emeralds. In the further wall was an alcove whose curtains, bestrung with pearls, were let down, and I saw a light issuing therefrom. So I drew near, and perceived that the light came from a precious stone as big as an ostrich-egg, set at the upper end of the alcove upon a little chryselephantine couch of ivory and gold, and this jewel, blazing like the sun, cast its rays wide inside. The couch also was spread with all manner of silken stuffs, amazing the gazer with their richness and beauty. I marvelled much at all this, especially when seeing in that place candles ready lighted, and I said in my mind, Needs must some one have lighted these candles. Then I went forth and came to the kitchen, and thence to the buttery and the king's treasure chambers, and continued to explore the palace and to pace from place to place. I forgot myself in my awe and marvel at these matters, and I was drowned in thought till the night came on. Then I would have gone forth, but knowing not the gate I lost my way. So I returned to the alcove whither the lighted candles directed me, and sat down upon the couch, and wrapping myself in a coverlet after I had repeated somewhat from the Koran, I would have slept, but could not, for restlessness possessed me. When night was at its noon, I heard a voice chanting the Koran in sweetest accents, but the tone thereof was weak. So I rose, glad to hear the silence broken, until I reached a closet whose door stood ajar. Then, peeping through a chink, I considered the place, and, lo, it was an oratory wherein was a prayer niche, with two wax candles burning and lamps hanging from the ceiling. In it, too, was spread a prayer carpet, whereupon sat a youth fair to see, and before him on its stand was a copy of the Koran, from which he was reading. I marvelled to see him alone, alive amongst the people of the city, and entering saluted him, whereupon he raised his eyes and returned my salam. Quoth I, now by the truth of what thou readest in Allah's holy book, I conjure thee to answer my question. He looked upon me with a smile, and said, O handmaid of Allah, first tell me the cause of thy coming hither, and I in turn will tell what hath befallen both me and the people of this city, and what was the reason of my escaping their doom. So I told him my story, whereat he wondered, and I questioned him of the people of the city, when he replied, Have patience with me for a while, O my sister and reverently closing the holy book, he laid it up in a satin bag. Then he seated me by his side, and I looked at him, and, behold, he was as the moon at its full, fair of face and rare of form, soft-sided and slight, of well-proportioned height, and cheek smoothly bright and diffusing light, in brief a sweet a sugar stick, even as saith the poet of the like of him in these couplets. That night the astrologer a scheme of planets drew, and, lo, a graceful shape of youth appeared in view. Saturn had stained his locks with Saturninest jet, and spots of nut-brown musk on rosy side face blue. 
Mars tinctured either cheek with tinct of martial red, Sagittal shots from eyelid Sagittarius through, Dowered from Mercury with bright mercurial wit, Bore off the bear what all man's evil glances grew. Amazed stood Astrophil to the sight the marvel birth, When louded low the moon at full to bust the earth. And of a truth Allah the Most High had robed him in the raiment of perfect grace, and had purfled and fringed it with a cheek all beauty and loveliness, even as the poet saith of such a one. By his eyelids shedding perfume, and his fine slim waist, I swear, by the shooting of his shafts barbed with sorcery passing rare, by the softness of his sides and glances lingering light, and brow of dazzling day-tide ray and night within his hair, by his eyebrows, which deny to who look upon them rest, now bidding, now forbidding, ever dealing joy and care, by the rose that decks his cheek and the myrtle of its moss, by jacinths bedded in his lips, and pearl his smile lays bare, by his graceful bending neck and the curving of his breast, whose polished surface bear those granados lovely pear, by his heavy hips that quiver as he passeth in his pride, or he resteth with that waist which is slim beyond compare, by the satin of his skin, by that fine unsullied sprite, by the beauty that containeth all things bright and debonair, by that ever-open hand, by the candor of his tongue, by noble blood and high degree whereof he's hope and heir. Musk from him borrows muskiness she loveth to exhale, and all the air of ambergris through him perfume the air. The sun, methinks, the broad bright sun, before my love would pale, And sans his splendour would appear a paring of his nail. I glanced at him with one glance of eyes, which caused me a thousand sighs, And my heart was at once taken captive wise, so I asked him, O my lord and my love, tell me what whereof I question thee. And he answered, Hearing is obeying. No, O handmaid of Allah, that this city was the capital of my father, who is the king thou sawest on the throne, transfigured by Allah's wrath to a black stone, and the queen thou foundest in the alcove is my mother. They and all the people of the city were Magians, whom fire adored in lieu of the omnipotent Lord, and were wont to swear by low and heat and shade and light and the spheres revolving day and night. My father had ne'er a son till he was blessed with me near the last of his days, and he reared me till I grew up and prosperity anticipated me in all things. Now it so fortuned that there was with us an old woman well stricken in years, a Muslimah who, inwardly believing in Allah and his apostle, conformed outwardly with the religion of my people, and my father placed through confidence in her, for that he knew her to be trustworthy and virtuous. And he treated her with ever-increasing kindness, believing her to be of his own belief. So when I was well nigh grown up, my father committed me to her charge, saying, Take him, and educate him, and teach him the rules of our faith. Let him have the best instructions, and cease not thy fostering care of him. So she took me, and taught me the tenets of al-Islam, with the divine ordinances of the wuzu ablution, and the five daily prayers, and she made me learn the Koran by rote, often repeating, Serve none save Allah Almighty. When I had mastered this much of knowledge, she said to me, O oh, my son, keep this matter concealed from thy sire, and reveal not to him, lest he slay thee. So I hid it from him, and I abode on this wise for a term of days, when the old woman died, and the people of the city redoubled in their impiety, and arrogance, and the error of their ways. One day, while they were as wont, behold, 
they heard a loud and terrible sound, and a crier crying out with a voice like roaring thunder, so every ear could hear, far and near. O folk of this city, leave ye your fire-worshipping, and adore Allah the all-compassionate King. At this, fear and terror fell upon the citizens, and they crowded to my father, he being the king of the city, and asked him, What is this awesome voice we have heard, for it hath confounded us with the excess of its terror? And he answered, Let not a voice fright you, nor shake your steadfast sprite, nor turn your back from the faith which is right. Their hearts inclined to his words, and they ceased not to worship the fire, and they persisted in rebellion for a full year from the time they heard the first voice, and on the anniversary came a second cry, and a third at the head of the third year, each year once. Still they persisted in their malpractices, till one day, at break of dawn, judgment and the wrath of heaven descended upon them with all suddenness, and by the visitation of Allah all were metamorphosed into black stones, they and their beasts and their cattle, and none were saved save myself, who at the time was engaged in my devotions. From that day to this I am in the case thou seest, constant in prayer, and fasting, and reading, and reciting the Koran, but I am indeed grown weary by reason of my loneliness, having none to bear me company. Then said I to him, for in very sooth he had won my heart, and was the lord of my life and soul, O youth, wilt thou fare with me to Baghdad city, and visit the ulema, and men learned in the law, and doctors of divinity, and get the increase of wisdom and understanding and theology? And know that she who standeth in thy presence will be thy handmaid, albeit she be head of her family, and mistress over men, and eunuchs, and servants, and slaves. Indeed my life was no life before it fell in with thy youth. I have here a ship laden with merchandise, and in very truth destiny drove me to this city, that I might come to the knowledge of these matters, for it was fated that we should meet. And I ceased not to persuade him, and speak of him fair, and use every art, till he consented. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. End of section 11 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night Recording by Kalinda in Raymond, New Hampshire, on November twentieth, two 2007